that spirit of innovation, that spirit of disruption, that spirit also of making things happen, flawless execution, that is the spirit that characterizes an organization with, with a stock option history. And that is today still the mantra of SIBO. That is today what still differentiates SIBO from many of the other global exchange groups. Welcome to Smarter Markets, a weekly podcast featuring the icons and entrepreneurs of technology, commodities and finance, ranting on the inadequacies of our systems and riffing on ideas for how to solve them. Together, we examine the questions, are we facing a crisis of information or a crisis of trust? And will building smarter markets be the antidote? This episode is brought to you in part by Abax Exchange, bringing you better benchmarks, better technology, and better tools for risk management. Welcome back to Days of Futures Past on Smarter Markets. I'm Dave Greeley, Chief Economist at Abex Technologies. We have two guests with us today from SIBO. They are Dave Housen, EVP, Global President at SIBO Global Markets, and Joss Schmidt, President and CEO of SIBO Canada and Senior Vice President, Global Head of Listings for SIBO Global Markets. We'll be discussing the history of and lessons from the Chicago Board Options Exchange as it celebrates its 50th anniversary. Hello, Dave and Joss. Welcome to Smarter Markets. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thank you both for joining us. And first, congratulations on SIBO's 50th anniversary, which you're in the midst of celebrating now. And I wanted to start off, I think this would be a good question for you, Dave. When you look back over the past 50 years, what do you see as some of the most innovative financial products to come from SIBO? Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic time to take a look back as we also think forward, uh, looking back on those 50 years, starting really with the creation of listed options trading all the way through a fantastic arc that includes the creation of volatility as a tradable asset class. SIBO's founders, so starting really there with the creation of the listed options market, SIBO's founders wanted to standardize democratize the trading of puts and calls to eliminate counterparty risk, to really put that effective risk management tool in the hands of individuals, a broader base of individuals in an efficient way. Previously, of course, as you know, uh, no two options contracts were likely the same or had the same terms, were only available OTC. So bringing that onto a standardized cleared market was a was a real game changer and changed the financial landscape to bring this risk management tool to everybody. And on the first day, 911 on options contracts changed hands across 16 stocks. And then you fast forward to Q1 this year and SIBO saw on average over 14 million options contracts traded across indexes, single stocks and ETPs on average every day in Q1. And then thinking through time, there was that tradable volatility product, that index, the VIX index in 1993, it created a way to measure volatility, which in itself was the second, one of the second key game changes. Moreover, the creation then of a tradable capability, VIX futures in 2004, VIX options 2006, gave people a way to express their views in the marketplace. And then uh, with a tradable asset class in place, it really accentuated those S&P 500 options, which came in, in the early 80s. 
based on the S&P 500 index itself. It was an innovative way to be able to gain leverage, manage exposure, manage risk to the broader US marketplace. And then thinking through time again, we expanded the access of SPX options across the day, 24-5 trading, global trading hours. We added a range of exposures of sizes, so different size contracts, the one-tenth size contract. And then thinking in the last year, that explosion of the same-day options trading that was enabled by the final addition of a Tuesday and Thursday expiration for our weekly contract. And really, that was a huge amount of product innovation. There's many more others in between. But outside of product innovation itself, think about those innovations that really enabled and fostered the environment that make it all possible, including hybrid and electronic trading capability. And also all of this underpinned by a real true belief that education is a great, is the way to create sustainable investors to really broaden the utility of this asset class. And for us, that was 1985, the institution of the Options Institute to teach end users about about options. And so then finally today, 26 markets around the world, equities, options, futures, FX, digital currencies, North America, Europe, and Asia Pacific. So it's been, been a great journey. It's been a heck of a ride. And it's amazing to think of, as you said, like these deep, liquid markets, 14 million contracts a day now versus 911 the first day. I mean, it's amazing from the little seed, the big tree. I wanted to ask you, getting back to the creation of SIBO, I was always curious, you know, it was established by the Chicago Board of Trade. And I was curious as to why a separate exchange was established rather than listing options contracts on the Board of Trade itself those 50 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And digging through the the memoirs and the memorabilia, um, we look to Joseph Sullivan, the SIBO's founding president. The the Board of Trade, and, and the answer is, uh, as in many cases, somewhat quite straightforward in that the Board of Trade operated a commodities exchange. The listing of options contract would, be sub, would have subjected the CBOT to the SEC regulation rather than CFTC. And so with that, there was a decision to actually instantiate a separate exchange. And really, the big players in CBOT were really only interested in, in commodities at that point in time and were not fully convinced about the probability of success of launching an options exchange. So as a result, we had the Chicago Board of Options Exchange, today CBO, then CBOE. And Joe really describes the process in his memoir. It's really worth, worth a, a bit of a look. But what we found eventually is that the CBOT members that were interested in, in trading options could also do, do so by joining the exchange. And so what you found is users trading futures in the morning and options in the afternoons. <laughs> it's a busy day. Uh, Joss, I'd love to bring you into the conversation here. I would imagine that this origin of using derivatives to facilitate risk management creates a different culture and mindset than exists at other exchanges. You know, For example, commodities futures exchanges often arise out of the underlying physical commodity industry with its own ecosystem and own culture. Stock exchanges are part of an entire financial ecosystem supporting capital formation and the building of companies that has its own distinct culture. I'm curious if you'd agree with that observation first, and then how would you describe the culture and the mindset at SIBO? 
totally agree with that analysis. And it also makes sense when you think about it, because if you look at the origins of those different types of, of, of exchanges, you will see that they have some characteristics that explain why they are different. You take commodity exchanges, they are typically driven by producers and processes of those uh, commodities. And what are they interested in? They want to be able to trade. They want to have access to futures for hedging purposes. That's what it's about. And they have no real interest in anything else. Like Think about what Dave just said earlier about the why of, of the CBOE, the old name of the organization. That is because there was no interest in that type of, of innovation. Stock exchanges, uh, you know, I would even say with a smile, it goes a little bit further. Like stock exchanges have been around for centuries. I think it was in the 17th century that uh, the first one was created uh, in, uh, in Amsterdam. And what happened with those exchanges is over the years, they became members clubs and members clubs with little aspiration for, for change. You may remember around the uh, 2000s, there was a, a big wave of stock exchanges moving from that membership structure to for-profit organizations. And one of the reasons that was driving that was an acknowledgement that they became stale and that they needed to be uh, reinvigorated. But it's not that easy because it's it's hard to change uh, old uh, old habits. So think about those those two types of organizations and you will see a culture that is far less focused on on change, on innovation, on, on disruption. And the stock options exchanges are very different. And when the idea of uh, stock options germinated at Seabot in the late uh, 60s, it, it was driven by innovators. It was driven by people seeking new ways to manage risks. It was driven by people who wanted to grow their business. And there was a lot of skepticism around. Uh, there were lots of hurdles that needed to be overcome, but it all happened and, and they delivered. And I think that that spirit of innovation, that spirit of disruption, that uh, spirit also of making things happen, a flawless execution, that is the spirit that characterizes an organization with, with a stock option uh, history. And, and that is today still the mantra of SIBO. That is today what still differentiates SIBO from many of the other global, global exchange groups. And the last thought that I would maybe add to this is in those 70s, 80s, uh, there were a lot of initiatives that followed the example of SIBO that across the world came up new derivatives exchanges, new options exchanges. And that, that same spirit of innovation, of disruption was there. And I remember it because I was part of one of those. But most of us got acquired by the incumbent stock exchanges. And with that, somewhere those organizations lost that innovation and that uh, disruption. Yeah, that culture of innovation is always very hard to maintain. And I'd love to come back to that in some of uh, the later conversation. And I hear you, Dave, that much of the establishing SIBO as separate from the Board of Trade was driven by uh, regulatory jurisdictions. But I can't help think there's a little bit of a skunk works aspect to it, too, of put the innovative entrepreneurial people in a, a separate building and let them you know, figure it out. But that brings me to a question I have for you, Dave. As I said in the previous question, all exchanges operate as part of an ecosystem. And how would you describe SIBO's ecosystem of market participants and stakeholders? Joss has referred to producers and processors being a big part of the commodity ecosystem. I was curious, in what ways is SIBO's ecosystem similar or different from that of other exchanges? 
Yeah, certainly. And as part of the 50th, we looked at a, a brand refresh and uh, a fresh tagline, the the exchange for the world stage. And really, that epitomizes how, how we see ourselves and think about ourselves. And, and the differentiator being that we do see ourselves as a truly global exchange with global footprint characterized and differentiated by true innovation, disruption that Joss just talked about, and actual clinical execution driven by our customers and led and informed by our customers. So what does that all mean? It means a diverse mix of truly global customers. We have global customers we talk to about every asset class, every jurisdiction, every new policy change. We have a number of highly connected and distributed partners that we that we work with. Those customers use our markets and our products and services and offerings across the trading lifecycle. So that's across pre-trade, at trade and post-trade. We offer services of trading, of clearing, of portfolio risk management, and a variety of data and data products. So we have multiple touch points at different places within those global customers. However, we don't forget that markets are also local. And we optimize locally and we have local experts on the ground across every market open to competition in equities because we acknowledge that jurisdictions need their own nuances, peculiarities and requirements to be catered for. Uh, We're not a square peg, round hole, big hammer company. We actually work with technology and customers to define what, what we do. So we think that's a real differentiator. So what does that attract? That attracts customers who are interested also in, in really driving according to those core values of innovation, disruption, clinical execution, and helping us think about how we can move into adjacencies, other asset classes, services, think about equity trading, clearing, and the, and the innovations that come from being part of the, the full value and, and life cycle there. So we innovate with those customers in partnership. And really, that's uh, a simple yet key differentiator for us and the feedback we get from our customers is that they appreciate uh, the subject matters that we have spread around the world to help inform how we can solve for challenges, regulatory change, and macroeconomic dislocations and changes with the end investor, the end user in mind to enhance that experience. You brought up two things I'd love to ask you a little bit more about. One is technology and the other is the focus on managing risk, which seems to be what ties together this diverse ecosystem of market participants that you have. And the ability to manage risk develops with our technology, and our need to manage risk has often pushed that technology forward. Computer technology, of course, but not just computers. It's probably not a coincidence that the Black-Scholes option pricing formula was published in the same year that SIBO was established. But I want to ask you, what has the relationship been between technology and the evolution and development of SIBO? Certainly. And again, when you look back at SIBO is now some of its parts. It was the, the that original set of innovators who found ways to get uh, options prices on physical screens to trade from a pit all the way through to the innovations today to manage the billions and billions of messages received in order to create those 14 million or so executions per day that we see on the platforms. But really, when you look at it, and also the companies that have been acquired by SIBO, whichever part of that value chain they address, they've been technology-driven companies, technology markets companies. Our technology platform underpins all that we do. And a big part of our global expansion prospects and plan has been based around that technology platform. 
we get to bring uniformity, reliability to those trusted markets that we build through that common technology platform. That that SIBO experience when you engage in our markets in terms of how the technology responds and operates, the reliability of managing risk in real time, uh, the reliability of the data. So when you look at those SIBO first spanning from that original options exchange, um, it's really been that driving force with the innovation disruption, customer-led solutions, and the only way being really to use technology to bring to bring that to life. So with that capability, that technological edge comes that responsibility to make sure that we, as we push the boundaries, we continue to operate trusted, reliable markets. And that's also been a differentiator for SIBO is the exemplary track record of integrations of new companies, but also the reliable rollout of new uh, products, features, and indeed, actually, for the whole financial industry through the uh, volatility and turmoil of the last few years, the industry has been able to leverage technology to continue to produce stable capital markets for, for the end users. And Joss, I wanted to ask you, because one of the interesting trends in the, the exchange industry in recent decades has been consolidation. And SIBO has bucked this trend by not being purchased by another exchange group over the past 50 years. And why do you think SIBO has kept its independence and has that independence to help preserve the culture, the ecosystem, and its ability to innovate? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's a great point and a great a great question. And I think what what you have with SIBO is is an organization that is built and has been created for stock options. And stock options, for me, is the foundation of that that culture of innovation and disruption that that we have today. And that is what makes us different. That is what makes us, uh, I truly believe, uh, stronger. And I mentioned it earlier. SIBO was not unique with that. SIBO was the first one. But we saw, as, as I said, over the 70s and over the 80s, multiple uh, stock uh, option exchanges, derivatives exchanges being rolled out uh, across the, the globe. And think about the lives, the motifs. Uh, think about uh, you know the second one, which was the EOE in, uh, in Amsterdam. I think they were in 70 seven or something like like that and uh, we did it in in brussels in the early 80s and there was an incredible culture uh, of working together even though you know we were all different organizations of sharing ideas of being creative of coming with new concepts of being very focused on clients and that culture was a culture that is was very unique to the uh, to the stock option uh, world why? Well, because we were at the forefront of, of uh, innovation. We were at the forefront of new ways of managing risk. We were at the forefront of uh, new models of uh, uh, how investors can uh, hedge their risk or, or speculate because, you know, both, uh, both uh, options are, are out there. But sadly enough, I don't know if it's a sad thing or a positive thing, most of those entities, think about Eurex, they all got acquired by the incumbent stock exchange, and, and that's the Deutsche Börse, that was the Euronext, uh, that, uh, you know, I can continue and mention them. And that led a bit to a loss of that, that culture. It was reintegrating, you know, those, those innovators, those different people into the, the establishment. And I think that that was, was a loss for, for many countries, uh, for many organizations. SIBO managed to continue. SIBO man managed to maintain it. They were the first ones and they are still there today. And I think that, you know, there's been, I'm sure, 
reasons in the leadership to maintain that in the independence. Uh, I'm also sure that, uh, you know, you have now an organization that is global in nature that has no fundamental reasons to, to look at, uh, at these types of, of transactions. So I think it creates a very unique global exchange group that is truly different from where all the other exchange groups uh, are. And as we discussed earlier, as Dave mentioned, SIBO, in fact, even took the opposite approach. SIBO became the acquirer. SIBO started to acquire exchanges. SIBO uh, started to, to acquire platforms across other asset classes uh, in other geographies. And one element that, that has been important in that, and I've, I've seen that, you know, when, of course, we went through our uh, transaction with SIBO, but also looking at the other ones that, that happened uh, before or, or happened uh, afterwards, SIBO always put a lot of attention on making sure that the organizations that they acquired had that similar DNA, had a real culture uh, compatibility with, uh, with the mother organization. And I think that that makes us uh, a very strong uh, organization. And Dave, maybe ask you to add a few words on this, because you have been through this, of course, much longer than, uh, than I have. Absolutely. And what you say there really resonates well with the kind of uh, the approach, the master plan, if you like. We've been very selective in our approach to M&A, and that's enabled us to continue to build the business organically alongside that M&A. And we see the two as complementary in executing on the strategy. But as we use that lens for M&A, we always look to stay true to who we are and what we do well, and really to focus on building those ecosystems we've been talking about the result is that our culture today and you know when we think about integrations in fact that we always say and it's because we believe it is that integration starts and ends with people it's all about the people those innovators those disruptors that are typically the founders of the and and the, the key assets of the firms we, we acquire creates and contributes to this long history from SIBO's inception to create a real rich tapestry where the company is a reflection of its employees over time. And those companies that we've acquired over time really seamlessly and at the end of it uh, integrated. And we love the diversity because we believe it makes us stronger and able to appreciate those local nuances, but from a global perspective that we were talking about earlier. So the key common denominator has been that relentless desire for innovation, disruption, entrepreneurial spirit, and customer service with a focus on excellence. Joss, you mentioned that you joined SIBO relatively recently through an acquisition, and that gives you a unique perspective as, in a way, both an insider and an outsider. And I'm curious, what struck you as the biggest difference on joining SIBO compared to the other exchanges where you've been? Uh, thanks for the question, David. Interesting question uh, indeed. But I, I have to add a little bit of additional color to that. When you look at the exchanges I was part of in the past, it, it was in fact you know exchanges that that started ground up, so startups, new initiatives, where I was founder, CEO of the of the organization, co-founder, I should probably say. So I've never really had the experience of another large exchange group like SIBO. Uh, there's maybe one that I was temporarily part of uh, because they acquired a previous uh, venue I was involved with and I, I only stayed for three months and that, that may say a lot. All of that being said, what for me is, is more the question, you know, having been true to my career, an entrepreneur, someone who has built 
companies, you know, gets excited about it, gets excited about, uh, you know, the challenges that come with it, but the ability also to really execute, focus on, on, on the vision and mission, and then make that, that strategy become real. The big question that I had, of course, was, is that something that is possible at uh, at SIBO? Uh, you are now in a large organization and, you know, how do the processes work? Uh, what's the structure? What is the, the governance and so on? And I got to say what has really been very enjoyable and, and, and great in, in the experience so far is that it is an organization that enables entrepreneurship. And I would probably call it, you know, to use a, an old word that was used a lot a couple of decades ago, ago it's, a, it's an organization that enables intrapreneurship. So it gives people the opportunity, people with ideas, people with, with a vision and, and a desire to execute upon it. It gives them the means the, the, the flexibility and the framework in which they can do that. And, and that, for me, is, is a very exciting experience to go through and something that I think is, in fact, quite unique in this, uh, in this space. Uh, you know, talking with, with some uh, senior uh, people in, in other large exchange groups, that is not what you hear. So SIBO has something very special over here. And I, I think it's, again, something that makes it unique. And it's something that will enable innovation and will enable the disruption that is so important in the industry. And that, uh, you know, in all our previous discussions, we have identified as, as a key characteristic. So that would probably be my, my one key component. And another unique thing that you brought up was the fact that traditionally most exchanges have begun in the capital formation stock exchange business and then moved into derivatives later on in their life. Now with SIBO Global Listing, SIBO is making that journey in the opposite direction. And it's a, like a big part of your joining and moving from a derivatives exchange into capital formation and uh, listings. So I'm curious, why do you see an opportunity there and how are you approaching listings differently? Well, it, it, it always takes you back to, uh, to those uh, same comments that, that we made uh, earlier. The fact of SIBO being in his, in his core, a stock option exchange, having that unique DNA that focuses on, on, on innovation and disruptions, I think that that is, in fact, a big advantage that we have because that is also the way that we are approaching our entry into the capital formation business. It's all about customer-driven innovation, disruption, and excellence. And starting with the word customer-driven, well, we talked with, with customers. And, and, and who do you talk with when you talk about capital formation? You talk with, with investors. And one of the messages that we receive from investors, loud and clear, that is that there's a very strong desire out there to be able to invest and have access to companies with purpose. What is purpose? What are companies with purpose? It's companies that are addressing some of the big societal issues that we face today. Think about climate change. Think about wealth disparity. Think about privacy issues. Think about health challenges. Mental health, of course, being one that, that is very much at the forefront uh, for, the, for the moment. That is a message that, that came from them. And what they also realize, and I think that, that reinforced that desire for those companies, that is that companies that do things that are best for society also deliver significant value. There has been studies, numerous studies demonstrating that purposeful companies see higher market share gains, grow faster than competitors, and achieve higher customer satisfaction rates. So that is one element that we took into consideration when developing our, our offering. 
if you then take the other side of the equation, again, you listen to, to the issuers now, what we have from them or what we see uh, with, with them is probably the first thing to say is that it's often emerging companies, emerging companies of the innovation economy who come with new business models, new solutions, and who are challenged to find the capital that will enable their, their growth. They are keen to access global liquidity. They are keen to access global capital. And often they do not fit in the tick the box approach of, of other exchanges. So you have investors who are clear about what they want. You have the companies that, that can provide those answers and those solutions who are struggling and challenged by the existing ecosystem around capital formation. And that is where we say that is the area that we're going to focus on. That is where we're going to focus our capital formation offering, seeking to provide those companies with more capital more visibility, more support, and more connections. Now, how will we do that? By leveraging, in fact, uh, uh, assets that we already have. And uh, the core asset that I'm talking about here is a network of listing exchanges that we have across the globe, starting with the United States, Canada, the United Kingdom, the European Union, through our Dutch exchange, and Australia. So in those five countries uh, or regions, I should say, we have already today uh, a stock exchange. That is the foundation that we are leveraging. And what uh, we are doing is uh, is now turning them into full-fledged stock exchanges, exchanges that can uh, list corporates and exchange-traded product or exchange-traded funds. Because when you look at those five, only the Canadian one was able to list both ETFs and, and corporates. All the other ones only listed ETFs. So we started a big program to enable them all to do that. And then we are also working on complementing that, that entire network with a set of mechanisms and tools that will make a go public experience seamless. And that is uh, information, that is around market data, that is around content, that is around onboarding portals, that is around uh, liquidity provision uh, models with, with market makers and, and so on. So what we are building, if I would summarize it in a couple of words, a global network of listing venues for the purpose-driven innovation economy. And by the way, this is more than an aspiration. This is something that is happening. We achieved our first milestones uh, with now both Canada and the US uh, being fully operational. So the US is now also totally ready to accept corporate listings on top of the uh, ETPs exchange-traded products that they accepted before. And we are also able to trade our Canadian and US listed issuers in our European venues. So not only did we take the step of making the US fully ready now to uh, list corporates, we can also offer those companies listed either in the US or Canada access to additional secondary liquidity by trading their stocks on our venues in, in Europe. Very unique, very comprehensive, very global, very focused, and very difficult to, uh, to replicate because you need to have that foundation that I mentioned earlier to be able to execute upon this. And Dave, this is a great opportunity as we wrap up for me to get your perspective on this. As Shah said, SIBO is continuing to expand across asset classes, across geographies, and there's a real vision with purpose-driven companies. And so I wanted to get your perspective on what is the vision at SIBO that's driving this expansion, in your opinion? And what is your vision for SIBO over the next 50 years? 
So what you can expect from SIBO over the next 50s is very much more of the same. Uh, the vision is to really continue to build out the largest derivatives and securities exchange network on the planet. We've got a great foundation. We've got a, uh, an unrivaled growth trajectory that that foundation uh, provides for. How are we going to execute on that? It's with customers, technology and innovation. We remember what sets us apart and has driven our success in the past, and that is our unrelenting focus on listening to our customers and delivering innovative products and services that we've been talking about today around the clock with a focus on the end user, the end investor experience and how to make that better. The how includes the technology piece, leveraging the, the latest fit-for-purpose technologies and research to fuel the innovation that surrounds us as we build that fully-fledged market infrastructure offering that largest global securities and derivatives network. So what's the outcome of all this? It's, it's the vision is to provide a full range of tradable products, functionality, and marketplaces that allow users, investors, issuers, to maximize their, their outcomes in the most efficient way possible. And to do that across a range of market conditions, we've seen a huge variation of conditions over the last year and a range of economic environments. And all that with the vision to build the trusted markets and enable end users to define a sustainable financial future. And through that all, we talked about it with the M&A approach, the integration approach, the selective approach of choosing those targets and combining it with organic growth initiatives as well. We're going to remain true to our DNA and continue to explore those new frontiers and remain at the forefront of capital markets as we do that in partnership with our customers. Thanks again to Dave Halson and Joss Schmidt from SIBO. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Join us next week with our guest, Michael Marks, former chairman of the New York Mercantile Exchange, the NYMEX. We'll be discussing the creation of the modern energy futures markets. We hope you'll join us. This episode was brought to you in part by ABAX Exchange. Market participants need the confidence and ability to secure funding for resource development, production, processing, refining, and transportation of commodities across the globe with markets for LNG, battery metals, and emissions offsets at the core of the transition to sustainability, ABAX Exchange is building solutions to manage risk in these rapidly changing global markets. Facilitating futures and options contracts designed to offer market participants clear price signals and hedging capabilities in those markets essential to our sustainable energy transition. ABAX Exchange, bringing you better benchmarks better technology, and better tools for risk management. That concludes this week's episode of Smarter Markets by ABAX. For episode transcripts and additional episode information, including research, editorial, and video content, please visit smartermarkets.media. Please help more people discover the podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. Smarter Markets is presented for informational and entertainment purposes only. The information presented on Smarter Markets should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. The views and opinions expressed on Smarter Markets are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's hosts or producer. 
Smarter Markets, its hosts, guests, employees and producer, Abex Technologies, shall not be held liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based on informational viewpoints presented on Smarter Markets. Thank you for listening and please join us again next week.